Hello world, this is Roger Corvale and this is For the Hope. Here we read through the Bible conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. What does spiritual parenthood look like? If you stuck around at all for the tail end of yesterday's reading, uh, after closing out 2 Corinthians, I shared several qualities of spiritual fatherhood that Paul exhibited toward his children, spiritual children, in Corinth. And today, I want to read you a psalm through that lens of spiritual parenthood. Hey, Hopeful, welcome to For the Hope's Sunday Reflection, where we pause our Monday through Saturday reading through the Bible in a year time together to do a short reflection and Today happens to be a long psalm, a really long one. It's going to be longer than average Sunday. And again, I want to do so asking the question, what do we learn about spiritual parenthood from this? Now, if you're not a parent, I want you to imagine being one. Imagine wanting to impart your wisdom to your children, knowing that some of them will follow your wisdom and some won't. And you know, some will do better. And some will do worse, but what you really know is that even though you could save them all a lot of heartache with your wisdom, they're still going to do some stupid stuff. And you know that you will love them despite that stupid stuff. Even go bail them out of, <laughs> of jail a time or three. Well, Psalm 78 is a psalm of Asaph, and you remember that name because a couple of days ago in 1 Corinthians 16, it was Asaph that David charged with basically writing some new worship music. And no, Psalm 78 isn't what he wrote in direct response to that charge from King David, but it is something that was written about that time, a time when David's at his peak of power and fame, and then shortly thereafter, things begin to slowly fall apart. So as will quickly become evident, Asaph takes people back to their history and remembering. So listen for what we know about our own Heavenly Father in this, and I will close with a few brief points. Psalm 78, a masculine of Asaph. My people, hear my instruction. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known, and that our ancestors have passed down to us. We will not hide them from their children, but will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, His might, and the wondrous works He has performed. He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which He commanded our ancestors to teach their children, so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. They were to rise and tell their children so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works, but keep his commands. Then they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not loyal and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The Ephraimite archers turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done, the wondrous works he had shown them. He worked wonders in the sight of their ancestors in the land of Egypt, the territory of Zoan. He split the sea and brought them across. The water stood firm like a wall. He led them with a cloud by day 
and with a fiery light throughout the night. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as abundant as the depths. He brought streams out of the stone and made water flow down like rivers. But they, they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the desert against the Most High. They deliberately tested God, demanded the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Is God able to provide food in the wilderness? Look, he struck the rock and water gushed out, torrents overflowed, but can he also provide bread or furnish meat for his people? Therefore the Lord heard and became furious. Then fire broke out against Jacob, and anger flared up against Israel, because they did not believe God or rely on his salvation. He gave a command to the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained manna for them to eat. He gave them grain from heaven. People ate the bread of angels. He sent them an abundant supply of food. He made the east wind blow in the skies and drove the south wind by his might. He rained meat on them like dust and winged birds like the sand of the seas. He made them fall in the camp all around the tents. People ate and were completely satisfied for he gave them what they craved. Before they had turned from what they craved, while the food was still in their mouths, God's anger flared up against them and he killed some of their best men. He struck down Israel's fit young men. Despite all of this, they kept sinning and did not believe his wondrous works. He made their days end in futility, their years in sudden disaster. When he killed some of them, the rest began to seek him. They repented and searched for God. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer, but they deceived him with their mouths, they lied to him with their tongues. Their hearts were insincere toward him, and they were unfaithful to his covenant. Yet he was compassionate. He atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He often turned his anger aside and did not unleash all his wrath. He remembered that they were only flesh, a wind that passes and does not return. How often they rebelled against him, in the wilderness, and grieved him in the desert. They constantly tested God and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power shown on the day he redeemed them from the foe, when he performed his miraculous signs in Egypt and his wonders in the territory of Zoan. He turned their rivers into blood. And, and they could not drink from their streams. He sent among them swarms of flies which fed on them and frogs which devastated them. He gave their crops to the caterpillar and the fruit of their labor to the locust. He killed their vines with hail and their sycamore figs with a flood. He handed over their livestock to hail and their cattle to lightning bolts. He sent his burning anger against them, fury, indignation, and calamity, a band of deadly messengers. He cleared a path for his anger. He did not spare them from death, but delivered their lives to the plague. He struck all the firstborn in Egypt, the first progeny of the tents of Ham. He led his people out like sheep and guided them like a flock in the wilderness. He led them safely, and they were not afraid. But the sea covered their enemies. He brought them to his holy territory, to the mountain his right hand acquired, he drove out nations before them. He apportioned their inheritance by lot and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. But they, 
They rebelliously tested the Most High God, for they did not keep his decrees. They treacherously turned away like their ancestors. They became warped like a faulty bow. They enraged him with their high places and provoked his jealousy with their carved images. God heard and became furious. He completely rejected Israel. He abandoned the tabernacle at Shiloh, the tent where he resided among mankind. He gave up his strength to captivity and his splendor to the hand of a foe. He surrendered his people to the sword because he was enraged with his heritage. Fire consumed his chosen young men, and his young women had no wedding songs. His priests fell by the sword, and the widows could not lament. The Lord awoke as if from sleep, like a warrior from the effects of wine. He beat back his foes. He gave them lasting disgrace. He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim. He chose instead the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. He built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth that he established forever. He chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens. He brought him from tending ewes to be shepherd over his people, Jacob, over Israel, his inheritance. He shepherded them with a pure heart and guided them with skillful hands. And my friends, that is Psalm 78. Kind of tying together the continuous rebellion of the Israelites to the, in part, cessation of the northern kingdom, Ephraim, which he calls Ephraim, which we usually hear as, as Israel, but Ephraim was another way of that northern kingdom being referred to, and separating that from the southern kingdom of Judah, the house of David. Now, interestingly, at the point in the story where we are in First Chronicles, that hasn't happened yet. We know that happens with uh, right immediately following Solomon, which we'll get to, I think, in this next week. But three things, and we'll be done, three things about this spiritual fatherhood or spiritual parenthood. Is there something that we could do in light of understanding God more effectively here. Number one, God loves us where we're at, but he's not content to leave us where we're at. One common mistake in, 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 well, in the whole world, let alone, but in Christianity in particular is to, is that God bring is saying that God brings unconditional love. Like we unconditionally love someone, but that doesn't mean that we unconditionally accept all of their stuff or their junk, right? Kind of like if you had a kid on drugs, you might say, I love you so much, you're no longer welcome to live in this house and keep stealing from me. Doesn't mean you don't love them. But you're not content to leave them where they're at precisely because you love them. Point number two, the antidote to our idiocies is remembering our identities in light of why we're here in the first place, Right? Here's all this stuff that God has done for you. And that's what you rebelled against. God has proven himself faithful and good and loving and kind and all kinds of things. But his wrath is love violated. And we should remember that maybe even as spiritual parents, as we're being spiritual parents to others, the antidote to their idiocies is helping them remember their identity in light of how they got there in the first place. <laughs> I was a sinner, but now Jesus. 
Point three, final point, God's faithful and he is merciful. And it's a good thing he came after us and keeps coming after us. My friends, even in like Romans chapter 12, after talking about what we should go do in light of the gospel, Romans 1, 12, 1 and 2, and then what that looks like in terms of inside of the church in our, with our spiritual gifts, verses uh, 3 to 8, verses 9 to 21 go on to talk about how we should then live out in the world, including even with our enemies, when he says, so far as it be- depends on you, be at peace with everyone. Now, God ultimately is the judge, right? We trust him for ultimate justice. But we, in so doing, can act faithfully and mercifully and keep going after those who have wronged us, loving even our enemies. I realize there's some context or nuance. I realize there's a time when you separate yourself from abuse or something like that. But God didn't just come after us in a story of salvation. He keeps coming after us like the hound of heaven. And I think, my friends, a bit of what we do as spiritual parents is to pursue our spiritual children in the same way. I love you, my friends. Amen.